you're seated, give somebody a high five on the way down. Tell them welcome. Tell them hi. Tell them hi. Tell them hi. Good afternoon. Welcome to New Movement. My name is Terrence Taylor. I get the privilege of pastoring this great movement here on the east side. And I want to start by first saying to all of you who are here for the first time or someone invited you, in about three seconds, this whole church is going to go crazy uh, because we are so excited that you are here. So church, let's let our guests know, those who are here with their friends and family for the first time, how much we've been expecting them and how much we're glad they're here. Can we let them know?
new movement. What's up? Amen, amen. Go ahead, grab your seat. Grab your seat. It's all good. It's all good. I am so happy to be here with you this afternoon. Amen. Wow, I have been looking forward to this uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, flying here from all the way from Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan. I left my, I left my bulletproof vest over there, you know. Uh, it's coming to Pasco, you know. And uh, I know it's safe over here, you know. But uh, I, I was on the flight, and uh, I wanted to tell everybody on the flight that I was coming to this church because I don't know if you know this, you know, I've had the chance to to travel the world and to speak into, into many spaces within our church, within our denomination. Um, I've, I've had the chance to, to, to preach, you know, in six continents. I've not been to Antarctica yet, and them penguins need so, so, go to Antarctica, but I don't know if you know this, because it's so it's so easy to be a part of this church and not realize how blessed you are. Do you know how blessed you are this afternoon, everybody? I've been to so many churches, so many different spaces within our denomination. I want to tell you, this is not normal. I'll say amen for you. Amen. That's a, that's a good word. This is not normal within our denomination. What you are doing here is extraordinary, and I want to just honor you this afternoon and let you know that I feel the Spirit of God in this place. This is not normal. This is not normal. I'll tell you how this is not normal. Uh, when, when I pastored here, um, I rocked a suit. Now, my mom thinks I need money for jeans because it's ripped, and I'm like, mother, get with the program, you know what I'm saying, like, <laughs> you grow up, mom, um, but now I'm wearing ripped jeans, that's crazy, in this church, wow, what you're doing, now let me tell you this also, um, I know it is, what, what's happening here is obviously because of God and his grace and his mercy and his commitment to this church, um, and, and obviously there is a team of people here that serve at this church that is absolutely phenomenal. Would you mind putting your hands together for the team at New Movement? Everything that you see here does not happen by happenstance. There are people serving, people committed, people who love this church and love God who are serving here. And so I just want to honor them and thank them. I think of these, these girls here, Pastor Terrence's kids. I held them in my they farted in my arms. <laughs> this one right here, this one, mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, true story, true story. Um, and to see them worshiping and serving God. You know, Bruno, hey man, you're pretty good, but Bruno's better than you on the drums. You know that, right? You know that, right? You know. <laughs> the only thing you have over him is that beard. I don't know, Moses, what's going on, brother? That's pretty good. Part the Red Sea right here. Um, but uh, it's, it's so amazing. You know, Deanna, the young lady that came up uh, and did the uh, connection time, I've been knowing Deanna for almost 10 years now. And more than 10 years. I wanted to say, I wanted to keep myself uh, young, but um, 10 years. She came into this church as a youth uh, back in what, 2008 or, or nine. And, uh, you, know, you know, you think she's thin now. She was <laughs> thinner uh, 
back then, you know, barely, you know, she just slipped through and uh, um, she came and I don't know what the motive was, but uh, she ended up sticking here at this church and loving this church and serving. And so to see you doing what you do here, um, I'm going to stop because I'm getting emotional, so I'm going to move on. But I am so proud of you and what God has done in your life and in your children's lives. It is, it is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, I know all of this is because of God and because of great service. And I'm going to be a little disobedient because your pastor told me not to do this. But I'm going to disobey him just for now because, because of his humility. He said to me, hey, Pastor Ron, just get into the word. Don't talk about me. But how can I do that? How disrespectful would that be to not honor? You have to believe this morning that the pastor that you have and the Mrs. Pastor that you have is second to none. They are the most phenomenal. Come on. If you believe that, would you get up off of your feet and honor the man and woman of God who have called but to be here to serve Pastor and Sister Terrence Taylor. Come on, y'all. Amen, amen. We love you. We love you. We honor you. We, we serve with you. And um, I don't know where this church would be if it were not for your vision, for your passion, for your insight. He's right. I've known Terrence for 20 years. When I met Pastor T, um, this building wasn't here. We were, we were in a side room. I was visiting from Canada. I was at school in Canada, and I had not met him yet. And our good mutual friend, Dwight Francois, said, man, this guy, man, he's really good. He's a great musician. Um, he's about, you know, he's about two feet, but, you know, he's, he's pretty good, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then Dwight talked to him, and he tells Dwight to tell me, say, hey, man, tell this Ron uh, character that I'm not a great musician. I'm not a great musician. And if you know Pastor T., and I'm not just saying this, I don't believe in flattery. I am your biggest fan. He is a phenomenal musician. I am upset he hasn't produced an album yet. He needs to do that. You, your, your voice is butter. I think he drinks butter. And it just... And so we met that one fateful night. It was a Tuesday night. And uh, we jammed in where is now Hope City, me, uh, Dwight, and, and Pastor T. And we made up a song entitled Peanut Butter, No Jam. No peanut butter. Peanut butter. No, we had peanut butter, but no jam. And that song almost made the top 100 uh, <laughs> billboard. But it was great. We've been friends for 20 years. I got to tell you, man, ministry would not be the same for me if, if it were not for you in my life. Um, and in, in the life of my marriage and our friendship has just um, been so important to me. So I thank you. I love you. Let's give him a round of applause again, everybody. Pastor T. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. And uh, I promised him and that I, uh, I would not try to steal him from you. Um, okay, all right. Let's just get into the word. Um, you, you need to know. He's never going to say this. You need to know, and I know this for a fact, that there are a plethora of churches that want this man. You know that? Plethora. And I'm, I'm standing... Because I'm blocking them for y'all, right? You know, just ping, ping, ping. You know, I'm blocking them for y'all. But he gets a number of calls inundated. But for some reason, he believes in the obedience of God. And uh, God has called him to this area. And so, um, praise God for you, man. Praise God for you and for Missy. So, hey, do me a quick 
Hebrew, as we get into word, would you look Hebrew and say, I thought I was the best looking person in this church until you walked in. Go ahead, tell them that right now. Father God, Father God, we thank you so much for this space. This is your time. Would you speak to our hearts? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Would you mind giving the praise team a round of applause as well? And Becky, she's been here for a long time, and to see your growth has been also absolutely phenomenal. Amen, amen. Hey, um, let's just jump into the word real quick this morning. I'm excited to, to have God share with us what placed on my heart uh, this morning. Before we get into the word, I want to read scripture this morning, if you don't mind. So we're going to go to the Bible, Matthew. Matthew, I think they gave me this. Let me see if this works. It do not work. Okay, so let's just go next slide. Here we go. All right, all right. So if you have your Bibles, that's great. You can go to your Bible in your, in your hand if you have an iPhone, because that's the phone that God uses. Um, yeah, you, if, you try to, if you try to use an Android, that's an abomination um, to the Lord. That's in the Bible. It's somewhere in the Bible. I could find it. It's in, it's in Scripture somewhere. Um, <laughs> um, all right, let's go. So Matthew chapter 14 and uh, verse 22 and on. We'll probably stop at verse 30. Let's see. All right says here, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go t- uh, uh, on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Next verse. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. He was there alone. Next slide. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because as the wind was against them. The wind was against them. They were in trouble. We go next slide. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He was walking on the lake. Verse 26 it says, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. <laughs> they said, and they cried out in fear. Verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Come on. Take courage. Look at your neighbor. Say, take courage. Come on, y'all. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Next, next verse, real quick. Lord, if it is you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. Next slide. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Next verse. But when he saw that the uh, when he saw the wind, and he was uh, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, "Lord, save me! Lord, save me!" Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately, it wasn't a board meeting. It didn't have to go to a committee. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And here's what he said. Now, I want you to remember these four words because we will come back to it in a little while. He says this. 
You of what, everybody? You of little faith. You of little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? I've entitled this short message this morning, this afternoon, simply, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. So I've been married for three and a half years. I know. I know. Now, now, now the people clapping are people that know me, and they're clapping because they are blown away by the miracle of Jesus that he, <laughs> he hooked a brother up with an amazing woman. She couldn't be here this weekend. I was really sad. She has an exam on Monday. She is in her first year of residency as an ER doctor. Somebody asked me, they said, aren't you, aren't you upset that uh, she will make more money than you? <laughs> no. Do you know what I do every morning? I'll wake up and I'll make her scramble eggs, <laughs> avocado, <laughs> and turkey bacon. And I give that to her and I say, go make that money, girl. And I slap her on the butt. Because that's my wife. I, I could slap her on the butt, you know. That's in the Bible somewhere, too. Some, somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so I love my wife, right? So, you know, um, we've been married for three and a half years. Three and a half, how long have you guys been married? 17. Come on, y'all. Put your hand. 17 years of blissful, blissful marriage. Um, we're, we're three and a half years uh, by our second year, we were giving marriage counseling to people um, because we're amazing. No, we, we're not. But uh, we had to learn. We were still learning. We have a long ways to go. So when we got married, we decided that we wanted to have our honeymoon in some place that's pretty, you know, exotic. It's a place that, you know, neither of us had gone to. And uh, so we looked at the map of the world and we dwindled it down to two places. It was down to two uh, final um, uh, options, either New Zealand or Iceland. Um, and if you know Francis and I, we love camping. We love doing some crazy stuff, right? So it went down to New Zealand or Iceland. And so we felt, well, we will probably one day get a chance to go to New Zealand because we go to Australia so much. Uh, I'm trying to catch up to your pastor because he goes a lot. Um, and so, but, but, you know, I figured I'll go there. I've been to Australia a couple times. So we said, let's go to Iceland. What, what, what made the final for us to go to Iceland, there was a, don't, don't judge me, okay? I see you judging me if your eyes are ready, sir. You see the judgmental eyes. Um, um, what's your name? Yes, sir. George. Okay, cool. Handsome young man. Um, but, but the final thing that pushed us <laughs> to go to Iceland was a young philosopher who sang a song called I'll Show You. Uh, this young philosopher is named Justin Bieber. And... and <laughs> He had a video when he did that song. It was in Iceland, and it was a beautiful So I felt that God was speaking to me through Justin Bieber. And so, um, and so okay, got you. And so, and so I thought, yeah, let's do that, man. So we went to Iceland, and uh, you got to know something about my wife. My wife is a daredevil, okay? She, she has no regard for her life or mine. And... Um, <laughs> and because uh, she knows she's beautiful. She knows she could find somebody else. Um, me, I, it's a struggle, you know. It's a struggle. I believe my wife is blind. I really do. I don't think she knows what I really look like. But, um, 
you know, preaching is therapy, you know. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I appreciate that. Anyways, so we go to Iceland, and uh, we're enjoying it, man. The first week of our honeymoon was absolutely amazing. Um, and uh, if you're not married, I'm so sorry, but... Um, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So, uh, and then the second week, we rented a car, and we went all around the country. We did the entire country of Iceland. Beautiful. Um, my wife is not scared of heights, but I am, okay? Now, I love flying, but I'm scared of heights. I don't know how that works, okay? So, we wanted to hit some of the places that Justin Bieber was, okay? And so, there's this place. You go to the next slide real quick, um, if, if, if you have it, in, in three, two, one. We have a, okay, here we go. Okay, cool. So, I took that picture, okay? So we drove in our little hoopty little car uh, through this really rugged, rough road that we were told not to do that with that car, but, you know, thug life. So, um, so we drove, and we finally got there, and we were like, oh, I feel like as if Justin Bieber is here. Like, I feel, I feel him, you know? <laughs> like, oh, JB, man. Like, <sighs> and so, um, so we got there, and... My thought, my plan was to just take a picture, a couple pictures, you know, and then be on our way, okay? There should be no climbing today. I'm not, I'm not climbing any, any mountain, okay? Um, and so my wife looked at me, and she gave me that look of, let's do it, and don't worry about it. God is with us. And I'm like, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't know, um, please. And she said, let's just hike up. And so we hiked up and it was kind of safe. And, and, and until we got to the top and there are these edges that Justin Bieber goes out and he's like, I'll show you. And so my, my wife wanted me to do that. She wanted me to go out and be the JB, you know, and I'm like, but I was JB, you know, like, you know, I don't need to go out on a limb. Like, I love you, girl. Like, I love you. You know, just, just you, JB did that, but I could be Tupac right here, you know. <laughs> You know, ain't nothing but a gangster party here, you know. <laughs> and, so, and so she was like, come on, man, live a little. Um, you know, I said, don't, I don't need to live. I'm le- uh, breathing. That's a breath. I could, I'm alive. I'm living right now. And so she was like, sweetheart, she calls me, um, <laughs> she calls me Beatty. She said, Beatty, um, come on. If, and then she said this. She says, she says, if you love me. I'm like, Negro. I mean, she's Hispanic. But I said, I said, Negro, I just spent thousands of dollars marrying you. What do you mean if I love you? Okay? I love you. I love you. And then she said, you will regret it if you don't do it now. And I said, sweetheart, you go. I'm not going to do it. You go. She's asking me something to do that I don't want to do. I don't want to do. And it, it was so interesting to me. Like, there was this young man who passed by, and I almost looked at him, and I said, Sir, would you mind taking my fiancé over that limb? Just don't hold her hand or kiss her, um, because I'll be, when you get back, I'll be thug life again right here. Um, <laughs> pop, pop, you know. <laughs> That's a gun. Okay, so, um, so she said, don't worry about it. I'll go by myself. So she went, and I took the picture. Now, let me show you the picture. So I took the picture. This is my wife. Um, it, it, it may seem like I'm close, but thank God for Zoom, okay? I zoomed in, and I took the picture, and uh, on either side is 100 feet to your death. And I told her, I said, there's something about my life. I just, I love my life. I love being alive. And so you go, took the picture. She came back, and then she said, um, well, let me take a picture of you over the limb. I said, no, Francis, I'm not going to do it. Take a picture right here, and here's my picture. Hallelujah, safety. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> That's why I'm here today, okay? I survived, all right? That's <laughs> safety right there. I was the only black man, by the way, on that mountain. That was the reason for that. Reason for that. <laughs> so Jesus, you know, <laughs> he's ministering, he's sharing, he's on earth, he's with his disciples, uh, and uh, he is... He got word while he's preaching, he's sharing, he's talking, he's ministering. His disciples are with him. He gets word that uh, breaks his heart, shatters his heart really into pieces, uh, that a family member has passed away. A man by the name of John who was called the Baptist, who baptized. And so word comes to him, John is passed. And so it really hits Jesus. It really strikes him you know, really hard. And so he uh, ends his time of ministering and he dismisses the crowd, tells the disciples, hey, let's hop into the boat and let's go into the other side of the lake. And they would do that a whole lot, hopping into a boat, Sister Weber, and going to the other side of the lake. And so they do that. He dismisses the crowd and he makes his way to the other side with his disciples. And the Bible says that his impact was so profound that the people followed him sort of walking around the lake so that when he gets to the other side, they were there waiting for him. And the Bible says that when Jesus sees them and, 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 and he sees their need and he sees their brokenness, the Bible says that Jesus looks at them with compassion. With what, everybody? Compassion. That word in the Greek literally means the moving of your organs. Like you feel it in your innermost being. He looked at them, and the Bible says that Jesus, with looking at them with compassion, he said, I am broken for them because they are like a sheep without a shepherd, right? And so he puts his grief aside, and he serves them. He honors them. He ministers to them. And so the Bible says he's talking, he's sharing, he's preaching. And by the way, back in the day, man, when they would preach, uh, their sermons were about three, four, five hours Half of that was just reading scrolls. And so Jesus at this point maybe was not reading a scroll, but certainly he was preaching for a long time. Long enough that it caused the man by the name of Peter. Now, Peter was a disciple. I think Peter thought himself to be the president of the disciple association. Okay. Uh, Peter had a disease that I call the foot and mouth disease. Uh, he, he oftentimes knew exactly how to put his foot in his mouth, right? Peter, the president of the disciples. So, so, so in the fifth hour of this sermon, Peter goes to Jesus and, and, and he taps Jesus's shoulder and he says, um, hey, Jesus, um, let me, because that's my Spanish, you know, um, Espanol. So anyways, um, so um, by the way, I'm learning Spanish because my wife, she's Spanish. And so I want to learn so when she, because when she gets mad, she goes into Spanish. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying, okay? I don't believe in speaking in tongues. So, um, so anyways. Um, so he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, um, so great sermon, okay? Five hours, that's awesome. Um, so, but uh, the people are hungry. Now, let me give a little nugget to leaders. Can I, can I just do that? So one of the most crippling, uh, crippling phrases you could tell really anybody, but certainly leaders, is when somebody comes to you and they say, um, you know, I like what you're doing, but uh, the people, <laughs> the people, you know, you know, you know how you're dressed, 
ain't no problem to me, homie. But the people. Now, what I've discovered in my 13 years of pastoral ministry is that about 90% of the time when somebody says that, there ain't no people. It's actually the person telling you the thing in the first place. But they're hiding behind the people. I got no problem with you, Pastor T, but you know, the people. Well, show me them people. Where they at? Produce them right now. Um, It's crippling to leaders because by way of confronting that conflict, we can't do that because we don't know who the people are. So then we go home and we're frustrated, like, who are these people? And if you're anything like me, I begin to think and, you know, people's faces come into my mind. Like, that person? No, it can't be that person. That person? No. My mama? My, My mama? I don't know who it is. Peter says, Jesus, you know, the people are hungry, okay? So here's what I have, I have, because they said, you know, don't, don't bring a problem without bringing a solution. So I got a solution. So here's a solution, Jesus. Send them away. Send them away so that they could go into the towns because they're in a wilderness. It's a dry area. Send them away. They'll go into the towns. They'll have something to eat. We'll chill here and have our own food. And Jesus, I love Jesus, man. Like, that boy, was a, he was a bad boy. Jesus was a bad boy, man, good boy, but, you know, he was, a, he was a bad boy. You know, bad boy for life, you know, Jesus. And he looks at Peter. In fact, I don't even think he looks at Peter. I think Peter is talking to him, like, right here. Hey, you know, Jesus, man, like, the people are hungry. Could you send them away? I don't think Christ even looks at Peter. I think Christ is continuing to look at the people. And after Peter talks, Christ just says, you feed them. Like Scooby-Doo. Arr? Now, 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 there, the Bible documents that there are 5,000 people here. And I know Pastor T would have told you about this, but when they would uh, sort of do a census or a counting, uh, they would only count men over the age of 12. So when they say 5,000, you're talking about only men over the age of 12. But there were more than just men there, so most scholars believe that there was as high as 15,000 people. That's a mega church. 15,000. So don't be too hard on Peter and his response when Christ says to them, you feed them. You know, Peter responds and he says, but Lord, like, we don't, we don't have that much to even feed. As a matter of fact, he gets a little dramatic, right? He even says, hey, the money we have right now is not even enough for us. We can't use that money. I looked into how much he talked about, and I compared it to their time. It was more than enough, certainly, for about 20 or 30 people. But Peter is dramatic. He's drama. Like my wife would say, Ron, you snore. I'm like, that was just one. That's one. It's one. She said it was all night long. She says the, the cabinets were trembling. I'm like, you, you, you lie. You liar. That's not... It's over-exaggerating. And so, um, so he was over-exaggerating. He was trying to just make his point. Lord, we can't even eat with the money we have, much less 15,000 people. But Jesus, you know, he's, he's trying to teach Peter a lesson. You have to understand, Peter, in the story, uh, in the narrative, in the Gospels, has the cunning knack 
of whenever a need comes his way, mm, this is good, he has this cunning knack of pushing the need away. Not taking ownership, not taking responsibility. This is the first time this happens with Peter. The first time it happens is Peter is fishing all night. Some of you know this story. He tries to catch fish. He caught nothing. He goes to the shore. Jesus is preaching. Halfway through his sermon, Jesus says to Peter, let's go fishing. But Peter looks at Christ and probably says, listen, man, you preachers always think you know everything. Like, 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 what do you mean let's go fishing? It is daytime. Nobody fishes in the daytime. Listen, Jesus, if I was Peter, is what I would have uh, told him. I would say, Jesus, uh, you are a preacher. Stay in your lane. I am a fisherman. I studied fistology. I am a physicist, okay? I know about fishing. Nobody catches fish in the day. I don't know why I'm hopping. It feels good, okay. It is impossible to catch fish. But how many of you know that Jesus, oh, this is good. Jesus oftentimes loves to allow the impossible to be present in your life so that he can do the possible. So when you look back, you can never say that was me or that was my wisdom or that was my strength. When you look back, you could only say if it were not for the grace of God. But here's the point. Peter goes fishing with Jesus. And the Bible says he casts his net, pulls back. And if you know the story, the Bible says he catches a lot of fish. Here is the first sign of the selfishness of Peter. The Bible says... When he catches the fish, he pulls it in, and it's so much fish, the Bible says, he beckons for his homies to come help him. And they come. In the midst of beckoning his friends to come help him, while they're coming, he stops and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, leave me, I'm a sinful man. Did you catch his selfishness? Did you catch it? Okay, let me help you. In the Greek, when it says that he calls his friends, he does not shout, yo, Come over here. I found a reservoir of fish. The Bible says he beckons them. He does a signal because he knows if he shouts, other people would hear, oh my goodness, that there is a reservoir of fish here. And so because he wanted to keep that to himself, for himself, for his own selfishness, he beckons to his friends without shouting so that it does not signal to somebody else. I'm pretty sure that's how he did it. That's how. The other story where he pushes people away. Do you remember when uh, parents brought their children to Jesus and Peter stops them? He does the Heisman. And he says, no. Well, why? Jesus is sleeping. And then Christ sees that he says, bring the kids to me. That is why at the end of Jesus' time here, he, his last conversation with Peter was asking him three times, if you love me, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Then tend to my lambs. Third time, do you love me? Lord, only you know, feed my sheep. Here is the point. Peter, if I send people your way, don't turn them around. That's the call for the church. That's the call for the church. 
And now you see Peter saying, Lord, send them away. We don't want to feed them. Let them go figure it out. Christ saying, no, you feed them. Peter says, we can't do that. Christ says, what do you have in the midst? I feel sorry. I feel sorry. There was probably a young little boy who did the right thing. You know, he told his mom, he says, mom, I'm going to go hear Christ preach. Mom says, oh, Lord, that's Jesus? He says, yeah, mom, well, you know, he preaches 10 hours. Um, so on your way to hear Christ, go over to the Jerusalem McDonald's and um, <laughs> pick your, don't go to that Popeye's one because they be shooting people. But go to the, um, <laughs> go to the McDonald's, <laughs> you know, and uh, get you, uh, get you uh, five loaves and two fish. Get a little bit of butter, a little bit of honey. I just think that's what he would have gotten. And so he does that. He's prepared. I wonder how that was like. I wonder what that was like. Christ says, find something. And they go out into the midst of 15,000 people. And if I was that boy and the word comes out that they're looking for food, I'd be like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Y'all tripping. I prepared. I prepared. You know, it's like um, I went to school in Canada, and during winter, um, all, the, all the homies, all the fellas, all the fellas would be all, like, dressed and covered up because it's cold. And then the girls, some of the girls would come with, like, just, like, almost wearing nothing. And they would be standing by us and, like, shivering because it's cold. And I'm standing there like, I'm prepared. I, if, you think, if you think I'm giving you my jacket, I'm not getting pneumonia. That's not going to happen. You should have prepared. That's why it took so long, yes, for me to get a wife. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Thanks, Becky. I appreciate that. They get this little boy's food, Pastor T. Brings it to Christ. I'm not going to spend time with this because this is powerful. Brings it to Christ and Christ. I wonder what that was like. The Bible says he, he, he prays to God. By the way, he's not praying to bless the food. That's actually not even a Hebrew thing. In the Old Testament, they, they would pray after eating. Which makes a lot of sense, Grandma. Because my grandma would pray the longest prayers before we eat. Even praying for the cat. Like, what does the cat, the cat's going to hell, Mom. But listen, just pray. Let's eat this food, man. Um, but in the Hebrew time, they would pray after thanking God. It actually makes a lot of sense, right? They would thank God. And then the Bible says there was a multiplication, multiplication, multiplication. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The Bible says that these people ate and they had seconds and they had thirds, and when they were full to the brim, Jesus says to them, gather the rest. <laughs> gather the rest. And when they did, they gathered 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. How many of you guys know best food is leftover, right? Best food because it oozes in there like you know. It's so good, especially Thanksgiving. It's the best. Um, 12 baskets. Now, when I read the story when I was younger, I thought, Pastor T, that those baskets were, you know, small, little cute baskets. But when I looked into the narrative and understood the historical uh, concept, the baskets that they had were about four feet tall. They gathered 12 of those. Four feet tall. And so after doing that, after feeding them, the Bible says that the people, when seeing this, looked at Jesus and had conversation with themselves. And here's what they were talking about. They were talking about, Lord, uh, 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 friends, how do we make this man king? We, will, we should make him king because not only can he raise people from the grave, he could feed us when we're out of food. 
what? Man, that would make for a powerful, formidable army. We will never be out of food, and nobody's going to die. Think about that. Think about that. You're, you're on the battlefield, and you're, 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 you know, you're going you know, 300 on all these people. Somebody dies. No problem. Jesus. Oh, no worry about that, brother. Bing. You're done. Come up. Right? Let's feed. Let's make him king by force. Christ realizes that they don't understand why he's here. He's not here for some national uh, commitment for the Jews. He's here to save everybody. It's a pandemic mission. He's here to save the entire world. So recognizing this, he looks at the disciples and he says, you need to get into the boat, go to the other side of the lake. I will dismiss the crowd and I will meet you there. I will meet you there. Back and forth, back and forth. So the disciples go to the boat. It does not say that they go right away to the other side of the lake. He dismisses the crowd, and the Bible says he goes into the mountain to pray. This would have happened about 5, 6 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Because he would not send them at night to cross the lake, nor send the people away at night. Usually about, you know, you know, 6, 6.30. He would send them away. <laughs> then the Bible says, about the fourth watch of the night. Do you know what time that is? That's about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay. He sends them away at about 5 or 6.30 at night in the afternoon. At about 4 o'clock in the morning, the Bible says they are still on the lake and a storm comes. I've been to Jerusalem and I've crossed the Sea of Galilee. At its closest point, it would take you, or at its longest point, it would take you about two hours by boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. At most, two hours. They left, supposedly, at 6 o'clock. And it's 4 o'clock and they're still on the lake. Now, are they just chilling? Are they, are they kind of taking their time? Here's what I believe. I believe that they lingered a little while longer to entertain the idea with the other folks on what it may look like to make Jesus king. <laughs> they lingered a little while. Hey man, um, I know he thinks that he sent us away, but um, hey, and he's in the, um, in the mountain. Um, hey, tell me a little bit more about uh, making him king. Because you know, we want to we be with him. You know, I want to be prince. You know, I want to be a prince right next to him. Right? Prince, Prince Peter. Prince John. My wife, by the way, has a massive crush on Prince Harry. I'm like, fine, you could have him. I'll take Megan. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Tell you something. Tell you something. Kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kidding. I believe they linger a little while. They were disobedient. By the way, one of my favorite authors talks about that, uh, Ellen White. 
They linger, they linger, they chill, they linger. Tell me more about that. Like, how do you think that's going to happen? And they linger. And I believe that Christ is in the mountain, on top of the mountain, and he's seeing them being disobedient. Now, watch this. After the conversation happens, probably maybe about 10, 11 o'clock, they're probably strategized. One writer believes that is where Judas begins to get the idea. Then they get into the boat, super duper late. And now they're crossing the lake and they encounter a storm. Oh, this is so good. It is sometimes through our disobedience that we enter into storms that were not meant for you and I. If they had been obedient, if they had followed the word of God, they would have not entered that storm. But disobedience. Ah. And so now they're in a storm, Pastor Missy. And they're struggling. Remember Peter? I'm a physicist. I got this. You know, we're sitting back home thinking, oh, these guys are wimps. More than half of them were fishermen. They knew how to, this was something that they were aware of. And now they're struggling and they're fighting this storm. Water is coming in. But the Bible says that while this is happening, by the way, when a storm comes to Galilee, Galilee is surrounded by these mountains, right? It's in the middle of these mountains. And without warning, especially back then with no meteorology, without warning, uh, these winds would roll down the slopes of these mountains, congregate in the, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and it's, it's as if somebody puts you in a blender and press puree. And you have to understand back then their navigational tool was the stars, and when the storms would come, it would be so bad that one writer says that you could not even see your hand right in front of you. It was that bad. So if I'm in a storm and my own hands, I can't see. But yet the Bible says while they're in the storm, Jesus is in a mountain and he's looking at them and he's seeing them as his, as his eye is on the sparrow. His eyes is also on the people that he loves, even in the midst of their disobedience. He sees them and he's watching and he's looking. He's observing. And when the time was right, Jesus comes off the mountain and he said to himself, he said, self, I I, I don't want to swim today. Neither do I want to walk around this Sea of Galilee. I got my steps in already. So what are you going to do, Jesus? I I finna walk on this water. And the Bible says he, he walks on water, y'all. He catches gravity by surprise. And he walks on water. Now watch this. Now, this is what, thank you, Lord. This is what really hit me. The Bible, when we read the story, if you've seen pictures of this narrative, you would, you would see um, Jesus. He's walking towards his disciples, right? He's walking towards his disciples, and they see him coming. But that's not what I read when I read the book of Mark. Mark, who got his story from Peter, here is what Mark says. Let's read it real quick. Here's what Mark says. 
He saw his disciples straining at the oar because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake, and he was about... He was about to pass them by. The actual Greek says he intended to pass them by. So if y'all are the disciples and I'm Jesus, he's not walking like this. He's walking like this. Because I think he wants to tell them, what are y'all doing on the lake? I'm expecting to to find you on the other side of the lake. Y'all are here? So he's walking. But, But you may think, come on, Jesus, why are you acting like that? Let me tell you the goodness of the Lord. Y'all get ready to celebrate. The Sea of Galilee is massive. Jesus could have chosen anywhere on the sea, oh Lord, of Galilee to cross over. He could have chosen a place that he knew they would not be able to see him. But my Jesus, because of his goodness, because of his love, because of his mercy and long sufferingness the Bible says he deliberately chooses to walk by them and when they see him it's a ghost Ooh, it's a ghost and this is what I think this is what I think Jesus did right he's walking away and when Peter shouts it's a ghost this is what I think Jesus did he went like this I've been with y'all for three years. You know, if, 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 if my wife comes into this place and I don't see her, but I see her shadow, you better believe I know her body, okay? I, I, I know her body. I've been knowing it for three years, okay? If she comes and, and she doesn't need to, need to say anything, I can feel her presence. I know her figure, what it looks like. And I'm like, that's my pookie right there. You've been with me for three years and you can't even recognize your leader, your rabbi. But you know what? It's okay because I want you to not miss this. Even though he's walking by them and and, and they look at him and they don't recognize him, they cry out. But don't miss this. When they cry out, it causes Jesus to stop in his tracks. Notice, they don't cry out in faith. They cry out in fear. They don't have any faith. But it does not matter the DNA of your cry. Once you cry out to heaven, it stops Jesus in his tracks. You cry out to to God. And some of you may be crying out right now in anger and pain, with with hurt, with bitterness. But Jesus doesn't matter. He he, He doesn't care about that. All he cares about is that you're talking to him. And so Jesus stops. And he looks, and he says, guys, it's me. It's me. And Peter says something that's so stupid, so dumb. Lord, see, if I were Peter, this is what I would say, Pastor. I would say, Lord, if it's you, come to the boat. Come inside the boat. Let me, let me, let me, let me touch your face. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me. That's a different type of a prayer, man. Like, you know, it's not telling Jesus, Lord, do this for me. Here's what I want you to do. No, no, no. Lord, if it's you, you give me a command. That's a, that, that's a different prayer, y'all. You command 
me. Let me come out and walk towards you. If I'm John and if I'm, you know, the other disciples and Martin, I'll be like, what are you, what are you asking, bro? Just chill. Stay in the boat. Right, stay right here. No, nah, man, I got this. Lord, if it's really you, <laughs> let me come out. Be careful what you ask God for. Christ was like, come. And Peter steps out of the boat. You know the story. And he, because if it's, if it's me, I'll be like, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to ask you to let me walk on water. I'll walk on my own water. Because see, if it was up to me, here's how I'll do it. Lord, y- y'all want to see a miracle today? Y'all want to see a miracle? You know something crazy? Watch me walk on water, y'all. Watch, watch, watch. Hey. Hey. See, that's funny, right? But let's, here's the thing. Sometimes, most times, if I'm be honest, the, the majority of the time, that's what I'm asking God. Lord, Lord, just present, just present this, just, just a little bit, because I could do that. That's simple. New movement. God is not calling you to walk on mist. He's calling you to walk on water. Because if it was easy, you would not need God. Stop looking for mist. Stop looking for the easy way. Walk on water. So Peter walks, and he's walking, and he looks at Jesus, but the water gets tough. The wind gets contrary, and the Bible says he gets afraid, and he begins to sink and go lower and sink and go lower, and Jesus grabs onto him because the prayer of Peter, Peter didn't go into this long prayer of, oh, father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I beseech us thee to come unto me, Lord Jesus. When you're in trouble, when you're in pain, simple prayer. Lord, save me. Save me. You know my heart. You know where I'm at. You know my situation. I don't need a long prayer. Just save me. And Christ grabs him. By the way, by the way, in in, in the Bible, how many times does Peter walk on water? How many times does Peter walk on water? Ain't that typical? Ain't that typical? It is so easy to only remember the failure of Peter. When I ask people this, they always say, yeah, Peter walked on water once. But if you read the story, Peter walks on water twice. How do you know that, Pastor? Because the Bible says when Jesus pulls him out, they walk back to the boat together. The Bible does not say Christ carries him. They walk together. Don't forget. Don't, don't, don't settle on the mistakes or the brokenness. Understand that Jesus comes in and he takes you from where you are and he lifts you up from the guttermost to the uttermost. Remember that. And then he gets into the boat. And I'm done here. He gets into the boat and the Bible says that immediately the storm stops. Right away. Right away. And then Jesus looks to the disciples, but certainly he looks at Peter. Don't miss this. Don't, don't, don't miss this. And he tells Peter, Peter, where is or O-E of little faith? You think that's kind of bad, right? Your little faith. But there's something problematic about that because the chapter before, the Bible says that Christ was in the town 
and he could not do anything because they, because they had no faith. He's not telling Peter, you have no faith. He's saying, you have little faith. What is Christ talking about? You think he's talking about quality or quantity? No. Because I thought so, right? It's not about quality. Because the Bible says if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can look at that mountain and say, be moved, and it will be moved. When he speaks of little faith, pastor, do you know what he's talking about? He's not talking about quality or even quantity. When he says to Peter, Peter, you have little faith, he's talking about endurance. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Peter, you had faith. You had faith enough, so much so that you were able to walk on water, but your faith did not endure. That's what he means, little. Your faith did not endure. Peter, it should have. And I know you got scared. I know you were petrified. I know you were terrified. The waves came and the winds came and the thunder was clapping and the lightning was flashing. And you got afraid and you got scared. Your faith did not endure. And when he gets into the boat, Peter then tells Mark, write this down. When he said this, we did not understand what he meant because our hearts were hardened about the loaves and the bread. And I'm like, what does that even mean? And then it hit me. Here's what Christ is saying. Listen, do you remember when I multiplied the bread? Do you remember when I multiplied the fish? And do you remember when I asked you to gather 12 baskets? Let me ask you a question. Where were those baskets? Where were those baskets? Peter and his disciples were surrounded with baskets of bread and fish. What's the point? Here you are in a storm and you think it's not going to work out. But if you linger a little while longer and you survey your life, you would realize though you are in a storm, though there is a struggle, though you're in pain, if you survey your life, you would see that there are 12 baskets of a recent miracle that if I could do it then, I could do it now. I'm the bread of life. Believe on me. Trust in me. And have a faith that endures. Have a faith that endures. Shall we stand? I want to I tell you a story real quick. I want to I tell you a story real quick. There's a picture I'm going to show up on screen. It's going to come up. Here's this young lady. Um, and her name tell you right here uh, her name is Florence Chadwick what she's known for is famous swimmer she swam the English channel and so she wanted to be the first woman to swim from an island called Catalina Island to LA this is her mom getting her ready on the right on the right hand side um, and so to commit to this victory she had to swim all by herself without any assistance. Uh, there was a boat next to her. They couldn't tell her how far she was from shore, but they could, like, encourage her. Her mom was there, and so she was swimming and swimming and swimming. And then she got really tired, and there was a fog, and it was really difficult. And she wanted to give up, and her mom was saying, don't, don't give up. Don't give up. Just don't give up. And she was swimming and she struggled in the fog and she couldn't see anything. And finally she just said, no, I'm done. I'm done. She stopped. Um, 
only to find out that she was quarter of a mile from shore. She would say later that if it were not for the fog, I would have, I would have endured. She did it again, and she made it. Where, where is your faith? Your movement. God is, God is calling you for great things. His plans for you. You can't even imagine what God is going to do with this church. All he's asking for, from you and for you is that your faith endures. Is that your faith stands strong in the love and the foundation of Jesus. I don't know what you're going through right now, but Jesus is saying, stick with me. I'm a powerful God. I will not let you down. I am the King of kings, and I'm the Lord of lords. You trust in me, but you can say, well, Pastor Ron, you don't understand. I've done so many things. I've, 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 I've been so many places. I'm embarrassed. I've done things that I don't want to even mention. And what God wants you to know this morning is he says, listen, your hands may have done some horrible things. Your hands may have been used to lie, and your hands may have been used to cheat, and your hands may have been used to steal. But I want you to know this morning that his hands paid it all when it was nailed to a rugged cross but I'm in this thing God and how can I get out Jesus says trust me follow me believe in me and I will lead you home you believe that this morning heads about eyes are closed father We bow before you this morning, this afternoon. We are surrendering our hearts to you. And Lord, some of us have struggled with our faith. And to be honest, maybe someone's here saying, I don't, I'm not even sure if I have faith. But Father, if we're breathing and if, we're, if our heart is beating, if our our blood is flowing warm in our bodies, the Bible says that you love us and you're here. And that, that, that there's so much that you want to do in our lives. If we only trust you, if we only hold on to the hem of your garment, that we will understand that there are places that you want to lead us to and things you want to lead us through. So Father, would you come? You take our feebleness, our brokenness. We surrender it to you. Thank you, Lord, for not giving up on us. Thank you for loving us and for being long-suffering. Thank you. Thank you. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to call up Deanna. She's going to share a little bit about next steps. Because we don't believe just in, let me, let me tell you something. What we do at church, this is cool. This is amazing. This is awesome. But, but this is a locker room. When, when was the last time the Seahawks, Lord forgive them for, for not making it through. When, when was the last time did they win a championship in a locker room? This is cool. We encourage each other. We build each other up, but the moment you leave those doors, the enemy's waiting. Victories are not won in the locker room. They're won on the field. 
this is cool, but, but, but life is out there. Who are you going with? And I want to let you know this church is committed to journey with you, to walking with you. You're not alone. We're not meant to do life by ourselves. So, if you want to be part of this and you want to continue growing and maybe figuring out what God has in store for you, come home.